we continue our time here together. Let me invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning, we will begin here today in verse 35, read through verse 49. I remind you these are God's holy, inspired, and profitable words. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished. And to each of the seeds, a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men, another flesh of beast, another flesh of birds, and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one, the glory of the earthly one is another. And there is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star and glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable one. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual one. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. The grass withers, the flowers fade and fall. But the words, these words of our Lord God endure forever. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we do pray that you would enable us to hear the sound of your voice, to know the one who is the great shepherd of his sheep, speaking to us and through us, through these words of the Apostle Paul. Father, use these words at this time to encourage us, to give us hope in life everlasting. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever been lost for words? Really lost for words to describe something, a situation, an event, Dawn and I once traveled B.C., that is, before children, to Breckenridge, Colorado. We did so with about uh, two uh, other couples, and we were going snow staying. But I vividly remember coming to the top of a mountain pass, seeing the front range of the Colorado Rockies, snow-capped and peaked, that view seemed infinite. 
Words cannot adequately describe now, nor could they describe then, the beauty of that view and the glory of God's creation. Paul here is struggling to describe something that is totally indescribable. One commentator I read concerning this passage wrote these words. He said, Who can imagine a body without a weakness or infection or tiredness or sickness or death? This is a body utterly unknown to earthly historical experience. It is an order of existence in which the laws of nature no longer exist. In fact, when one puts his mind to it, this writer said, all of this is quite unimaginable. There's confusion in our culture, in our world today, even in the church, as to what happens to us after we die. Some believe in reincarnation, so they think that we will come back to earth as a different person or another animal or some sort of life. Others believe that we simply cease to exist, and yet others believe that we become angels floating around on nebulous clouds playing instruments that we never could play on this earth. The Apostle Paul, however, clearly describes and teaches here what happens to Christians after we die. One of the errors that some of the Corinthian believers had embraced is that there is no bodily resurrection. And chapter 15 is Paul's corrective teaching, his instruction regarding our body and our resurrection from the dead. Verses 1 through 11, he gives us the evidence for Christ's bodily resurrection from the dead. In verses 12 through 19, you notice Paul explains that if Christ has not been raised, then everything we do as Christians is ultimately a waste of time. Then in verses 20 through 28, he shows us that because of Christ's bodily resurrection, there must be a bodily resurrection for Christians. Then in verses 29 through 34, Paul points out that if there is no resurrection from the dead, our service, our sanctification is senseless. And now here, verses 35 through 49, he brings us back to trying to, to grasp something that is indescribable. Exactly how our bodies are raised and what those resurrection bodies will be like. He teaches us about the manner, the how of our resurrection, but also about the nature, the what of this resurrection body. He asks and answers a couple sets of questions here. He asks questions that he knows the answers to as much as God has given him the information to give to us that he might know. He asks 
this question. Knowing all this, despite all this proof, despite this logical reasoning, he says, but some still will say, how are the dead raised? How are the dead raised? He begins here asking that question. How can a dead, disorganized, disintegrated body live again? And he answers in a way that most pastors standing in pulpits today probably could not answer and remain in the pulpits that they are in today. He says, you fool. Silly people. God is the God of the impossible. As he created all things out of nothing, ex nihilo in the space of six days, and pronounced them all very good, and he does with his creation as he wills, he can certainly raise ashes from the grave. Paul begins by rebuking those who have questioned the bodily resurrection for Christians. He says, you foolish person. Only a foolish person would question the power of the sovereign almighty God. Paul then begins to explain that death is not an obstacle, but is rather a means to the resurrection body. He says in verse 36b, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies, does it? Just as a seed must die, to produce a plant. Even so, our present bodies must die to produce our resurrection bodies. In both cases, he says, death here is the means to a new body. There is disorganization, there's disintegration, and this must take place before there can be reorganization and reintegration to live the new heaven, the new earth. Jesus himself said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, what does it do? Jesus said, it bears much fruit. So the question is, how are the dead raised? And the answer is, well, God will raise those bodies from the dead by his own sovereign, almighty power. Paul goes on with this second question, which concerns the the nature, the what of the resurrection body. 
And with what kind of body do they come if they are in fact raised from the dead? This is asking that question, what kind of resurrection body will Christians possess? And this is a question that uh, pastors always get asked. That people who are Christians get asked by people who are non-Christians, who are seeking answers about things. What is that body like if it is, in fact, raised from the dead? He answers and says that our resurrection body will be a continuous body and yet a different body. It's like one of those questions that has a yes and a no answer. Yes, it's both. The resurrection body will be continuous, but different. Look at verse 38. But God gives it a body, the resurrection body, just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. God gives it the seed, the body, as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. There's continuity here. There's discontinuity in the plant that is produced, in the seed that is placed in the soil. A wheat seed, he says, doesn't become barley. Grass seeds do not become corn. God has given each kind of seed its own kind of body whose identity continues into the grown plant. What if you went to the seed store? We have a place down the street near Florence, Coontown. What if you went to Coontown and bought some seed and planted that seed? Let's say it's sunflower seed. You planted that seed. You watered it. You nurtured it. You watched it grow. And as that seed began to grow and blossom and bloom, you noticed that it was Zinnias. What would you think? Well, immediately you'd probably begin to question, look at the bag that it came from, look at the package that the seeds were in and see that it was obviously mislabeled because your belief is that what you planted produces that same plant. That seed produces that same fruit. That sunflower seed produces sunflower, not zinnias. That's what Paul is doing here. He's reasoning from logic and simply the way it is. After Jesus' resurrection from the dead, he was the same and yet different. He wasn't originally or initially recognized until he began to reveal himself to his people. But once he did that and revealed his identity through speaking, through mannerisms maybe, his actions, uh, the locations that they were in, he was recognizable to those who were around him, even in his resurrected body. The disciples knew his face. They recognized his wounded side and his pierced hands and feet. In the same way, our resurrected bodies as Christians will have a continuity 
with these bodies, with the bodies we have now, our present bodies will die. They will change form, but they will still be our bodies, recognizable as us. Paul says, surely this is not too hard to believe, that the God who has worked this process in the seeds and the plants, the daily working of creation through the centuries in his creation, certainly it is not impossible for him to do the same thing with the people that he's created in his image and his likeness as we receive our resurrected bodies. See, our resurrected bodies will be continuous. They will be the same bodies, but they will be different bodies in some way. Our resurrected bodies will be continuous with our present bodies, but they will be different. Paul says, look at verse 37. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. God, in accordance with his own power and his pleasure, causes the plant produced to be different than the seed sown. Paul notes here, there are differences in the bodies of earthly creatures. And says in verse 39, for not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind of one kind of, of humans, another kind for animals, another kind for birds, another kind for fish. That is flesh. God in his wisdom created all creatures differently according to their kind. An interesting little tidbit here about the complexity of our created bodies. There are 600 octadecillion different combinations of what we know as amino acids. Now, an octodecillion, if you're wondering exactly what that is, is 10, you take 10 to the 108th power. Simplify that just a bit. Put a one down on a sheet of paper and follow it by 108 zeros. There are that many amino acid building blocks in life. Not only does each type of plant and animal life have a distinct pattern of those acids, but each individual plant, animal, and human being has its own unique grouping of them. No two flowers, no two seeds, no two blades of grass, no two human beings, even identical twins are exactly alike when it comes to that. Yet each is completely identified with its own species and kind. All of this joins together to, to build for us one of the, I think, the greatest scientific evidences against Evolution. No matter what we eat, no matter how specialized or unbalanced our diets are, no matter what our environment may be, we will never change, never change into another life form. 
God has created according to its kind. We may become healthier or sicker, heavier or lighter. Our age grows out of our youth, but we will never, never, never be anything but a human being and never any human being than the one that God has created you to be. Biological codes are binding and unique. There is no repeatable scientific proof that one form of life changes or could change into another. Paul says there are even differences between the, the creatures on the land and the bodies in the sky, in the heavens. Look at verse 40. He says, there are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. Not only are the the heavenly, the celestial bodies different from the earthly bodies, they are greatly different from one another. No two of them are the same. So Paul says in verse 41, there is one glory of the sun And another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars different from stars in glory. Every star is different, just as every plant is different, every animal is different. Every person is different. God has an infinite creative capacity, including the capacity to make infinite variety. Why would anyone think it is too hard for him to recreate and resurrect Human bodies, no matter what form they may have after death. Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of the dead. So Paul, now having given us several illustrations here from nature, the differences among various bodies, He makes application of these illustrations to the differences between the present body and the future resurrection body, the heavenly body of Christians. And he says, look at verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. The resurrection body you see, will be a body fit for eternity. Our bodies now are suitable to live here, to breathe this air, to drink the water, for the most part, maybe with a filter, to eat the food that is prepared here for us. Our bodies are suitable for here and now, but certainly are not suitable for there. For the glorified, rarefied air of heaven. There are several ways in which the resurrection body will be different and suitable for heaven. The the, the first, Paul says, the body is sown perishable, but it will be raised imperishable. Paul says... The body of a Christian is sown, that is, it has died, it is buried in the grave, perishable, but it will be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it will be raised in glory. It is sown an unattractive body. In the sense that today we live with frailties of our bodies. 
We live with sin all around us. But that resurrected body will be raised a resplendent, a glorious, a glorified body. That body, Paul says, is sown in weakness, but will be raised in power. It is sown without any strength, but it will be raised with and in incredible strength. Notice those two words he uses in verse 43. Power and glory to describe the kingdom of God. The resurrection life. Those words we repeat in the Lord's Prayer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Then Paul says the body is sown a natural body but will be raised a spiritual one. If there is a natural body, he says, there is also a spiritual body. And that if is not mere possibility. The assumption after we read that statement is, yes, there certainly is a natural body. And there certainly will be a spiritual one. So Paul goes from perishable to imperishable. From perishable to dishonor and weakness to imperishable and glory and power. The greatest illustration of this, the resurrection body, that it is different is that of Jesus' resurrection body. Before Jesus' death, he had a human body. He took upon himself our flesh. He lived on this earth like we live upon this earth. He ate the food. He breathed the air. He drank the water. His body was like ours in all respects, yet without sin. It was subject to weakness, yes, even death. But after his resurrection, Jesus had a glorified body, a spiritual body. It was a resurrection body. He could be touched. He could eat. I'm assuming he could smell. He could see. It appeared that, as Scripture describes him, uh, mysteriously, maybe even miraculously appearing, behind locked doors to his disciples. His body was the same. It was continuous with his pre-resurrection body, and yet it was different. That is the kind of body as Christians we will receive. For the resurrection body will be a glorified body. Paul, referring back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, says in verse 45, Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Just as Adam gave human life, or we are all descended from Adam's human life, God is the giver of life, we are descended by natural generation from Adam, so Christ gives spiritual life to all His people that are called by His name. That's why Paul says, but it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. All people have a natural, human, fallen nature. At some point, we are, by God's grace, regenerated. We receive a spiritual nature. So the natural nature, Paul says, precedes, comes before that spiritual nature. Then he moves on 
Paul does, back to, to Adam and Christ and notes that the first man, that is Adam, was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man, that is Christ, is from heaven. Adam was an ordinary human being, but Christ exceeds Adam's glory because Christ came from heaven. Look at verse 48. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. In other words, Adam's descendants are like him. They inherit his physical nature and his fallen human nature. Similarly, Christ's own are like him. They inherit his spiritual nature and by God's grace, their regenerated nature. Paul says, following up then in verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of Christ. He leaves no stone unturned in giving to us a vivid picture of the resurrection bodies. Okay? So what happens when we die? At the time of our death, our bodies stop functioning. We're buried. Our bodies will decay and decompose. We sleep. We await the return of Jesus Christ. Those who are believers, even now, God's Spirit dwells in our mortal bodies. But the more the Spirit makes us like Jesus, the more those mortal bodies groan under the strain of anticipating our own demise, our own death, and the freedom of totally and receiving totally new bodies designed for glory and power. See, at the time of our death, our spirits go immediately to heaven. The Westminster Confession writes these words concerning that time. It says this, chapter 32. I can find it here. At the last day, such as are found alive shall not die, but shall be changed. And all the dead shall be raised up with the selfsame bodies, and none other, although with different qualities, isn't that what Paul has been saying? which shall be united again to their souls forever. The bodies of the unjust shall by the power of Christ be raised to dishonor. The bodies of the just, those who are justified by God's grace, through faith and trust in Jesus Christ and by His Spirit, shall be resurrected unto honor and be made conformable to his own glorious body. And by the year 2050, not too far away as time flies, it's estimated by some that there will be 113 billion people who have by that point lived on earth. That's a lot of people, folks. And God, by his power, will raise up each one. He will raise up each one of those old, earthly, dusty bodies and give them a new one made over. Resurrected bodies to stand there before Him at that final day. 
Nothing is impossible for God. That seems so impossible for us to imagine this side of eternity. And God can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or even imagine and think. The Word of God assures us that we will have new resurrection bodies. Why? Because Jesus was raised from the dead on that first resurrection Sunday, that first Easter. He is the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead. Jesus was seen by Cephas, the twelve, more than 500 brothers at one time. James saw him, the apostles, and finally Paul himself after his, after Jesus' resurrection. Jesus is alive. He has a resurrection body. He sits at the righteous right hand of God, even now interceding as our great high priest. And when all this is done, the original promise that death will be swallowed up in victory will be fulfilled. We'll get to that a little bit more next week. Death, even now, though, has lost its sting. And the grave has been conquered. Death has no sting except sin. Sin has no strength except from the law. The law has no power over those who are in Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. Standing on this side of heaven, the Apostle Paul, with his inspired words, those words inspired, God breathed, explains something too wonderful for words and gives us a glimpse of the glory of heaven, the wonder of the resurrection life. All that said, what should be our response? Two things. Remain steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. No matter how frustrating that might be at times from our standpoint, no matter how difficult that might be at times from our perspective, remain steadfast like a planted rock, immovable, always abounding in the work, knowing that your toil is not in vain. Understand that as Christians, your citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity into the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even subject to all things, even to Himself. So first, remain steadfast and movable because of that. And second, give thanks. Give thanks to our God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be what? Peter says, to be born again. To be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because Jesus was resurrected as the first fruits, we will be too, that we might obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Paul gives us evidence from the world and even from logic and reasoning 
that these things will be as God has described them. The grass may wither, the flower may fall, the words of God endure and last forever. And those who are in Christ will live with Him for all eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do lift up to You our lives. We sing a hymn, Lord. Take our life. Take my life and let it be. Consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take all that we have, Lord, and use it for your honor and for your glory. May we not be a people who holds on with great strength to the things of this world, but may we be a people who live with that eternal hope that our death is not the end. It is simply the beginning, the beginning of great and glorious things that you have done and will have done in us. Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.